Welcome to Australian Hiker. We're your hosts, Tim and Jill Savage. This is episode 57 of the Australian Hiker podcast and our second bonus episode for February. In this episode, we're going to be talking about nutrition on the trail. In episode 50, we talked about food on the trail, a beginner's guide, but this is a this episode takes it a step further and starts looking at nutrition uh, as opposed to just food uh, to ensure that particularly on the longer, more difficult sort of hikes, we may maintain a good nutritional balance on the trail. So we're going to be talking to Lisa Donaldson, who is from Feed Inc. uh, in Canberra. And we first came across Lisa when uh, she was doing some sessions with uh, a fitness centre that we have um, an association with in Canberra, Canberra Fitness Centre. And she was showing us how to uh, eat healthy in a busy week and uh, one of the things that we did like about her approach was obviously it's very expert. Uh, she's a nutritionist and a dietitian, um, but it also was quite practical and um, understood the you know the challenges and the complexities of maintaining a healthy diet. So we hope you enjoy. All right. Um, good morning. This is Tim from Australian Hiker, um, and we're here for this podcast talking to Lisa from Feed Inc. Now, Feed Inc. is a Canberra-based dietitian and nutrition clinic whose aim is to help their clients achieve total wellness through fitness, energy, education, and diet, hence the name. Their expertise is in the area of nutrition, including uh, issues relating to diabetes, heart disease, gastrointestinal upsets, weight loss, uh, pregnancy, and sports nutrition, in addition to others. They believe in eating minimally processed food and encouraging you to become an active participant in life. Now, this doesn't mean you have to become a master chef or an elite athlete. It simply means becoming a healthier, happy you. Now, Lisa Donaldson, who we're talking with today, founded Feed Inc. in 2010 and is an accredited nutritionist, sports dietitian, education and media spokesperson that has been working in the fitness industry for over a decade. Now, in today's episode, we're going to be talking to Lisa about nutrition on extended hikes and what we we as hikers do to ensure that we eat correctly on the trail. So I'd like to welcome Lisa to the Australian Hiker podcast and thank her for providing her time to talk to us. Thank you for having me. Okay, now just a bit about you. What's uh, what's your background and how did you come to work in the field of nutrition? Very interesting background. I actually started my career as a school teacher and I worked as a school teacher for about seven years and at that time I was diagnosed with celiac disease, a kidney condition, uh, lactose intolerance and an allergy to kiwi fruit. Um, I was a healthy eater but I didn't know what to eat anymore because so many things were taken out of my diet. So I started reading about nutrition and I became a real bookworm for all things nutrition and I bravely decided in my early 30s to return to university and to study. So um, that's really my story. I often think about um, myself uh, and my journey is, you know, I'm still a teacher, but I now teach people about food rather than how to write their name or the ABCs. So I've had a bit of an interesting journey, but certainly being a school teacher has allowed me to be a great dietitian, I think, because I, I teach people what to do and I get them to really implement change that is led by their knowledge and their learning. And that's why within the name Feed we have the term uh, education most certainly because it is all about knowledge and education to be a healthy person. Okay, and what uh, what prompted you to set up feeding? Um, well, I do a multiple number of different jobs, um, but I wanted to be able to see patients regularly and to upskill and to. I think when you see patients face to face, it really keeps you in touch with what's going on with people, the way they think, the way that they approach food, uh, common trends, all sorts of things. So, uh, feeding was a way for me to just be able to um, see people face to face, and it beautifully complements everything else I do. I do 
do work at university. I do online work for Michelle Bridges. I do a whole range of different things. But um, being able to sit down with people face to face, it means that you can get to um, get to know them and actually understand everything from their family medical history to you know their weight history and really be able to implement things that are um, specific for that person on an individual level. So um, yeah, it's I feel very privileged to work with patients um, every week. Okay, and, and what services does Feeding offer to, to their clients? Yep, so we do, um, well, this morning, I've actually had a patient in this morning who just came in to be weighed and to update her meal plan, um, but we do all sorts of things. We work in nursing homes, we go into workplaces and present seminars, uh, we see clients for everything from uh, diabetes to heart disease to all sorts of things, and again, it comes back to educating people about healthy eating with regards to their specific requirements um, and their medical requirements, so we do lots of different things. Um, we're very, very lucky to have a variety of patients because it keeps things interesting for us too. Okay. Now, in regard to nutrition and hiking, um, and this is this is one of the, the things that uh, I think is not really discussed that well within the hiking community. For most hikers that uh, tend to do one or two day hikes, really it's not a great issue. You throw whatever into your backpack that you want for a day or two, and that doesn't really create an issue. But in longer hikes, um, we often hear um, uh, we don't really tend to discuss how to go through and process longer hikes. So the, the, the questions I'll put towards you tend to be aimed more towards that. So we often hear discussion on fats versus carbohydrates versus protein. Now, what does this actually mean? Well, at the end of the day, all three are macronutrients, which are critical for our diet and for our body. Um, but I guess if you break it down to the most simplistic level, um, we're looking at energy that's within food. And, you know, carbohydrates and protein are very equal in the amount of energy that they contain, which is about four calories per gram. And then we have fat, which I guess is the king. It's got nine calories per gram. So when you look at it from a very basic level and look at what the differences is, um, you know, protein and carbs are, are equal in the energy they provide their body and the fat's got that extra um, bang for buck I guess in terms of per gram um, when we look at the role of the fats and the carbohydrates and the protein though they all have very different roles um, I guess the reason I've mentioned the energy level um, first up is because as hikers you guys need to have a great amount of energy going into your body to, to maintain what you're doing and to also to try and keep some weight on your bones but the role of the different Different, uh, macronutrients is quite different um, you know if we were to fuel our body entirely on carbohydrate for instance uh, we would be um, well energized I guess but we'd never feel that sense of fullness so the beautiful thing about both protein and fat is it allows us to be um, to feel full and satisfied a good example of this would be to compare say a slice of white toast with jam on it now I don't know about you but I could probably eat about 10 slices of jam on toast no problem but if I was to have a slice of toast and put an egg on it for instance I'd be fuller probably with one slice and, and the egg and feel much more satisfied so um, just in that illustration alone it just shows that you know protein and fat is very filling and so when you're thinking about long hikes and that sort of thing carbohydrates certainly critical for the energy it's providing the body um, but we have to think well how can we feel fuller and satisfied for longer and also slow down the absorption of that carbohydrate. So carbohydrates are absorbed fairly quickly. The more refined, the more quickly they are absorbed. But as soon as we combine some protein or fat into the equation or into the meal, um, it allows for those carbohydrates to be broken down more slowly and to sustain someone for longer. So on a long hike, if someone had packed, for instance, just carbohydrates, they would feel probably feel ravenously hungry the entire time um, but if we can incorporate some proteins and fats in with those carbs that's where we have that nice balance so um, in comparing I guess all three they're all macronutrients the fats have more energy uh, or more calories per gram but the roles of them is very different as well so it's important that we have all of them um, you know across the course of the day in some level. 
Okay. And, and in relation to short trips, so you know, one or a two days, so a typical weekend trip for a lot of people, mm-hmm. how important is it getting a good nutritional balance on, on a trip of that sort of length? Oh, look, in one or two days, it's not as um, it's not as critical. Um, you know, you can before you head out on your hike, you would have a very nourishing meal or a very nour- nourishing lead up to that hike. So your body's actually got stored up enough nutrients and enough energy to sort of get you through without it having to be really um, really controlled over those two days of hiking. So you know, loads of sandwiches and things like that would probably be okay. Um, but you know, when we start to look at more extended hikes, that's when we really need to look at sort of a, a bit more balance in what you're having and in particular the refuel Um, you know if you don't refuel the body after exercise um, sufficiently you feel massive amounts of fatigue and uh, you know the repair for the body is um, is not great so it's important that you do focus on the refuel and the rest period just as much as when you're out there and you're doing the hikes because the body does need the rest and it needs to be able to repair with the right nutrients Uh, going back again to the the fats the carbs and the protein um, you know when I work with people who do a lot of um, strength training and I guess in that sense if you're climbing a lot of hills and you're putting a lot of pressure and stress on your muscles you've got to think about repairing uh, that muscle tissue and the way that you do that is um, is via protein and there's a number of different ways that you can do that and we can talk about those but if you don't don't replenish um, that um, that protein to the to the body to help repair the muscle. You're going to feel really um, terrible stress and strain on the muscles. In the same vein, if we don't replenish our muscle glycogen via carbohydrate, again the next day when you wake up, you'll feel fatigued before you even get going. So that refuel process is really critical. If I was working with someone who was, you know, going to the gym and doing weight training, I'd say to them, as soon as you finish your session, within 20 minutes, you've got to get protein into the body because the body likes, it's primed for the uptake of that repair and for that protein. So um, same vein with hiking. If you're doing a lot of hills and there's a lot of muscle strain going on through a lot of, um, you know, heavy hikes, you need to think about getting protein into the body, good quality protein within 20 minutes after stopping that walking and that hiking so because the body's primed to take it up Um, if you leave it too long yes you'll get some repair but that 20 minute window is really critical and of all the things I learned as becoming to be a a sports dietitian it was that 20 minute window for muscle repair and um, and so you know thinking about good quality proteins after stopping on um, big hill hill climbs would be um, really important all right. So in other words, by the sound of it, it's, it's getting a good balance rather than just proteins or just carbohydrates or just fats, just trying to get a balance across the, the three as best as we possibly can. That's right. And look, if you're away for a long time, you've probably got to think, I've got to carry this stuff. So um, certainly more fat would be of benefit because it has more energy to keep you going for longer. But at the same time, if we don't balance it out with the carbohydrate, the muscle glycogen won't be replenished. If we don't balance it out with some protein the repair on the muscles if you're doing very steep climbs um, just won't be there so yeah most definitely it always comes back to balance and moderation doesn't it all right so let's take this a bit further now so what about trying to achieve nutritional balance over a longer duration trip so five days 10 days even you know 15 or 20 days how how do we obviously i think i think by the sound of it balance is still the key but how do we try and achieve that balance over those long periods you know, it's so hard um, as a hiker to be able to carry what you can to be as balanced as possible. And although my philosophy is to eat close to nature and eat minimally processed foods, at the end of the day, you have to be smart about it. Um, and and I and by that I mean you have to rely to some degree on a lot of supplementation, a lot of dehydrated foods, um, a lot of products that are in the form of goos and gels and you know blocks and things like that. Now, I'd love to be able to say that you could have a completely whole foods diet from, you know, fresh, lovely foods on your hike, 
but to be honest it's just not possible if we break it down to even an electrolyte level to be able to carry that food to prepare it to be able to eat it in a functional and practical way whilst hiking um, you have to think quite seriously that um, you can't ignore the benefit of the supplementation and um, and it has to be included and when we look at um, supplements you have to think well it is supplementing all the lovely um, other whole foods we might be able to consume during that time but you really you can't turn your back on those things Um, supplements have been developed by experts in science and nutrition science um, to be be able to refuel people in the best way possible Um, you know you look at someone for instance who's suffering from cancer and uh, you know there's a whole range of supplements that are designed to help support a body you know fight that Uh, in the same vein with sports you know there are supplements that are designed to be able to support the body um, when it's under duress and so you're looking at supplements that um, you know help replenish those electrolytes but also the fat the protein and the carbohydrate and um, you know hats off to the the experts in those areas um, because I think if I compare you know a fairly balanced diet with supplementation against a diet that doesn't use supplements at all I, I would have to say hand to my heart that the person who's got the supplements is going to be in a better place in terms of practicality and in terms of replenishing everything from electrolytes to those macronutrients so um, yeah don't ignore the the supplements all right so when you're talking about supplements can you give us some example of what would be commonly available supplements that people might know or can can access yep look there is a huge range of different supplements out there and um, my first advice before anyone sort of goes on the um, the journey of taking supplements and stuff is that you trial them Um, one of my areas of expertise through my own personal battles with uh, gastrointestinal issues is that a lot of supplements can actually affect someone's um, their gut Uh, so if someone is suddenly going on a massive hike and they've heard this little podcast today they might think oh Lisa said you know I need some supplements I better go buy some for my hike in a couple of weeks now if you suddenly take supplements and your body's not used to those then you may actually have some gastrointestinal um, issues Um, for instance you may find that they make you windy or that they might prompt you to go to the bathroom more than is practical on a hike so it's all I can say is there is a range of different things out there um, that are very good but by all means don't just go buy them and use them you've actually got to test them so I'm not going to throw any brand names out there right now because what would suit one hiker may not suit another so it's best to really um, I guess if you've got gas any gastrointestinal issues is to actually seek help from a sports dietitian who can work through them with you and to see what's going on the transit time from um, you know someone eating a food or a supplement and it's then passed out in some way um, can be different from person to person so someone's actual um, you know gut function um, can be very different so I know you're probably looking for please tell us the best brands and things but I don't want to do that because um, you know it can um, it might not work for everyone Um, I really like uh, the cliff products that are out there Um, the shots products are very good but again um, you know it all comes down to individual tolerance there's some people who can't tolerate um, much at all, uh, in particular the fiber levels in food. And so um, with athletes that I work with, the people who have really um, upset guts, I often get them to eat things like white bread. So a sam, you know, a Vegemite sandwich on white bread. And people just um, are quite shocked when I say that because I'm a dietitian, I should be opting for whole grains and things like that. But when it comes to sports performance and you're thinking about where it's digested in the body, something like a Vegemite sandwich, for instance, is digested in the upper GI, the upper gastrointestinal tract so it's not hitting the gut it's not sitting heavy and it really works well for people who have um, upset tummies so opting for the more refined stuff on uh, on hikes if you're prone to um, needing to go to the toilet a lot or diarrhea or you know doing lots of poos um, opting for things that are processed quite quickly in the upper GI is the the way to go so um, 
Yeah, I don't think I answered your question, but anyway. No, no, that's that's good. That actually works well. And I must admit, I, uh, I, uh, I suppose I've always tried to, as far as possible, eat fairly naturally. So I've, I've always tended to shy away from the, the supplements and things. Um, and um, I must admit, I hadn't actually thought about that as being being something uh, essential, particularly for the longer hikes. But mm. it's, it's certainly it's something worth considering. Now... Um, you do talk about things like cliff bars and that type of thing. What's your view on um, things like the performance bars and the and the muesli bars and the and the, the snack bars? Are, are they all created equal, or are some some better than others? Um, look, they're all different, and I guess it comes down to looking at um, the ingredient list and seeing what's actually in them. And you know, there's certain products out there that you can actually recreate on your own. Um, I actually have a, um, a recipe on my website for for muesli bars that some hikers I know have used which are quite high in energy and you know they're made predominantly from nuts and seeds and dates and uh, dried fruits and things like that so on paper you know they they definitely look like whole foods and nourishing and all of that kind of thing at the same time you know do they compare in terms of the electrolyte balance and all of that well my my music homemade music bars have not been tested in that regard um but at the same time i could run an analysis on it and find out um but you know i think uh, there's a great range and a great variety out there and i think if you can opt for things that have ingredients that grandma would recognize particularly if you are a whole foods kind of person then you know opt for those but also don't be put off by um, terms on products that um, may be chemical terms Um, a lot of those will be just um, you know difficult sounding terms or chemistry looking terms that are within a product that are actually of benefit for the body Uh, you might see something like leucine for instance listed as um, you know something within a product now leucine is a very valuable um, amino acid which is great for muscle repair now um, interestingly the best source of leucine i think is from skim milk and the reason I, and that's a whole food, um, you know, just had the fat skimmed off. Um, for hikers, you know, you could certainly have full fat um, milk instead for the extra energy. But, you know, regular old milk is a great source of leucine, which is, um, you know, superb for muscle repair and recovery. And there's been a lot of study around milk as a recovery drink for um, for athletes. So um, I've sort of talked around in a big circle here. But uh, the reason um, I'm talking about milk is that if you've got some UHT milk that you could keep in um, your pack that would be a great thing to um, scull back at the the end of a you know a massive hiking day that's uphills for that um, that protein replenishment because it's a liquid it's absorbed really quickly the body doesn't have to spend time breaking it down uh, in good old milk and you could use something like a milk powder if that's lighter to carry um, you know uh, certainly don't ignore things like milk powders um, but the reason I got onto the milk powder was because of you know the term leucine which you might see on certain products and things as well. Um, look, in, if you're walking through a supermarket and you're looking at um, general muesli bars and things like that, I guess, you know, f- for a hiker on long distance, you want to be looking at how much energy um, those bars contain. Um, you know, the general pub- public would be looking for something that was in low in energy so they wouldn't be gaining weight. But for you guys, you're looking for things with um, added energy that would come from things like rice malt syrup or sweeteners or fruits or even um, chocolate, heaven forbid. You know, on to chocolate. Sorry, I'm flipping all over. That's the place. all right. That's fine. But, um, but chocolate is um, is actually pretty special. We all love a little bit of chocolate, and I don't know how it would go in a pack on a hike on a hot day. But um, if you could have some chocolate in a pack, um, and certainly not rely on chocolate, but chocolate is um, a beautiful little thing that you can have um, on a hike because, for one, it contains both protein and fat. Um, you know, some contain sugar as well. Um, but the other little secret ingredient in amongst um, chocolate there is caffeine which can be very beneficial for um, you know a hiker who just needs that extra extra kick um, and that extra boost so don't shy away from things like um, you know some dark chocolate or something to to put in your trail mix or or something like that that's uh, it's one of those little things that I think you can definitely include I guess where I would say you know don't go overboard is when you know you focus on packing only Mars bars in your pack and that's it Um, 
which, you know, great source of energy, again, fat and protein and that sort of thing. But at the end of the day, we've got to look at um, other other ways to support the body, I guess. I must admit, I, uh, I, I tend to go light on the chocolate on trips, particularly during the summertime. They they don't look particularly good because no. they, they always melt into liquid and then re-solidify again. So yes. the, they still taste the same, but the appearance is not as good. And I'm guessing by the sound of it, the better quality of the chocolate, the, the better for you as well, or not necessarily? Oh, look, if it's a one or two day hike, um, you know, no dramas, pack your Mars bar. But if you're doing something over a, you know, a long hike, you know, something like some dark chocolate's beautiful because it's just packed with antioxidants as well and is very gut, um, heart supportive uh, too. So, you know, always looking for, for things that are the best option, particularly over the really long hikes. Um, you know, when I work with athletes who, um, who do endurance sports, I try and get them to think of ways that they can pack different foods that are going to support their body from a whole foods perspective that they may not have thought about. And, um, you know, just doing a bit of Googling around on different hiking sites yesterday, I realized that you guys are pretty good in terms of trying to pack different or uh, unconventional things. A lot of my endurance cyclists, for instance, I get them to pack things like uh, instant deb potato, which, you know, isn't fabulous but oh, that's uh, that's something that hikers <laughs> hikers are familiar with so i so get them to um pack it into little snap lock bags and to cook it up in some stock as well as something that they can actually just squeeze into their mouth you know little snip snip of the end of that snap lock bag and be able to sort of you know squeeze it into their mouth while they're on their bike and the reason i mentioned something like the old dead potato is sort of um you know refuel it's a it's a really easily digested um carbohydrate but if you've cooked it in some stock as well it's providing some sodium to the body as well so it's kind of it's something different i think when people are doing doing endurance sports there is this heavy reliance on sweet things and what can happen is you can just end up with uh, i guess what's called taste fatigue um you know even if you love um chocolate or sweets or whatever it may be i tell you what after four or five days of eating sweet stuff or especially sweet goos and gels and things there is nothing worse than that kind of just something sweet again so some packing something like you know your dead potato uh, into a little squeeze um, snap lock bag or something like that is uh, isn't a bad idea um, I was even um, on one of the the websites I was looking at yesterday in preparation for this podcast um, there was one lady who actually swore by packing a can of whipped cream and at first I was like gosh that's a, that's a bit odd and then I thought about it from a practical perspective you know a can of whipped cream is relatively light um, it contains fat it contains dairy which would contain leucine which is good for that muscle repair and all sorts of things so it's interesting the things that people um, rely on or that pack in their packs um, might seem a little bit odd but if I can break it down from a nutrition perspective and think about it and then break it down from a practical perspective I think you know what whipped cream is probably not a bad option even though I would not say to most people have whipped cream but certainly for endurance sports it's um it's an interesting concept and um, would certainly um, be quite handy to be honest I think that's the, the thing with from a hiking perspective as you mentioned before the hikers tend to look for high calorie food mm. rather than low calorie food yes and i must admit i mean certainly one of the issues i tend to have when i've come off a two-week hike where i've eaten a lot of peanut butter mm. and i continue to eat peanut butter and, and gain a lot of the weight that i've uh, lost back uh, in quite quickly because it's just because of the sheer amount of calories that it tends yes. to have in it and you know if i compare you know the the space of the of um you know peanut butter with say a big bag of um, peanut um, you know, certainly something like peanut butter is a beautiful thing to have in your pack for a number of reasons because, you know, it's just it's condensed. I think about anything that can be condensed and um, made smaller to fit in packs and things is quite practical. Peanut butter, Nutella, all those nut butters, there's almond butters and cashew butters and all sorts of different butters out there which are really quite um, quite handy for, uh, for hikers in terms of the energy content and also the protein content that they provide the body. Another interesting thing I came across yesterday in uh, research for today's podcast was um, one hiker actually um, carries coconut oil in his pack. And the reason for that, of course, is because, you know, a coconut oil is fat. Fat contains lots of energy. Um, but he just spoke about it as just being something that could, um, you know, sustain him for long periods. Um, and he found it quite palatable. Now, from a dietary um, perspective, I think, yep, it's going to provide you with energy um, 
um, very readily available energy and it's quite tasty I suppose just be aware if you have a sensitive gut that if you eat too much fat and your gallbladder is not particularly um, fantastic you could find yourself running to the toilet and a lot of that fat will go through some guts very quickly so just a word of warning when you're doing a lot of high fat specific um, approaches that you could actually end up with um, a bit of trouble in terms of your bowels. I must admit, I, I, I haven't actually thought about uh, coconut uh, uh, coconut oil or, uh, uh, you, know, I, I, you know, it's fairly condensed. I, I tend to add olive oil to a lot of the food that I, that I eat, and I suppose because I'm used to it, and I think most people are used to eating olive yes. oil these days. And it's um, certainly superior if we look at, um, you know, the differences between coconut oil and olive oil. Coconut oils certainly um, come to the fore in terms of a trend of late because it's, um, you know, it provides lots of lovely things for the body. But uh, if we break it down, to a really specific level um, olive oil always wins in terms of um, you know the nutrient content so I always go olive oil over the coconut but uh, this man in particular was saying he loved it so much he could stir it through his morning coffee and all sorts of things just for that extra energy Um, I must admit I think coconut oil probably does taste better than olive oil if you're eating it straight so I can understand where he's coming from and I must admit you have one comment you just made before as well as just getting the uh, um, you start becoming stale on your on your diet, and, and yes. certainly on a, on a two or three week trip, um, I go through cycles where I love stuff, then I absolutely hate it, and then I get cravings for it another, a week later. So mm. I always know that I'll go through cycles of of liking things and not liking things. And I think um, when you you know you go through these cycles because I guess it comes down to that taste fatigue kind of concept, but also you know you've got to think about what you're craving too. And I've done a lot of research search around cravings and why we have cravings and um, you know to this day scientists can't really pinpoint the reason for it but I often say to athletes that if you are really craving something and that craving is really niggling at you then it is potentially a sign that the body is needing something Um, you know so sometimes someone might be really craving you know a Vegemite sandwich or just something a bit salty chippies whatever it may be and you have to think well how much sweat have you expended Um, you know it's probably your body craving that because your your sodium deplete that you you do need to replenish that um, same thing with sweet things too so I think particularly on those really long hikes if you find you've got a craving to think what is that and think well you know maybe it's my body telling me something um, it might mean that you're low in electrolytes or something like that and to actually respond to it and you know just think you know what, I'm going to have this thing that I'm thinking about and that I'm craving because my body might actually be trying to tell me something the body is an incredible machine and I think that we ignore the cues and the signals and the signs that it gives us and I think the more that we can be in tune with our body and those signals um, the better off we you know we would be as an entire population. I must admit, I, I mean, probably the best way to describe that for me is I'll, I'll, I'll eat jerky on a, on a hike on a fairly regular basis, but after about five days, I've had enough of it and I don't want to eat anymore. But by sort of day eight or nine, I've got real cravings for it. Mm. And I'm, I'm looking for as much as I can get. So, uh, And I must admit, I do tend to listen to my body. So if it's, you know, I, I, I tend to pack that way and, and set up my food for those days based on that. Mm. Now, in relation to, we talked about proteins before. Mm. How, what's the best way? to get proteins on the trail when we are dealing with a lot of dehydrated food. I mean, mm-hmm. we've, got, we've got things like jerky, yep. um, assuming things some like some of the legumes possibly. Or, yep. um, but what other options are there for, for trying to pick up protein on the trail? Yep, so, um, you know, at the end of the day, for me, it's always comes down to the milk powders kind of, you know, really handy thing to be able to have there. Of course, your jerky, nuts, nut butters. Um, any sort of cheese in the cooler weather is a, is a good way to get some extra protein into the body um, things like this will sound a bit odd too um, you know condensed milk in a tube um, that's you know that's kind of a good way to get some extra protein I mean there's also sugars and things in that as well but um, you know when we look at legumes as another option you're also getting some lovely um, carbohydrate and fat from legumes as well things like your hummus you were talking about before we started recording um, do contain levels of protein I guess when your body is under that much stress and all of a sudden you might be eating lots of beans and legumes and things again it might come down to the fact that it makes you too windy too uncomfortable and that sort of thing so um, definitely your dehydrated meats your nuts um, your milks for that quick absorption um, protein those sorts of things are certainly beneficial 
Um, you can even look at certain um, protein powders and things like that too. You know, very expensive. Um, I've actually done a lot of research into protein powders and again, milk powder, you know, home brand skim milk powder comes up trumps um, or at least in line with um, some of those very expensive protein powders and things. In fact, to the point that I get a lot of my athletes to mix up skim milk powder with some sustagen as, um, you know, a protein shake. So, you know, little things like that can be very useful. Unfortunately, you know, there's not um, not a lot of proteins that um, will keep in a pack for a long time. So unfortunately, you have to rely on things like your, your dehydrated meats, your jerky and your nuts and your, your milks and um, powdered milks and that sort of thing. All right. Um, now, what's the best way to keep up a constant flow of energy on a long day? Right, so um, you've got to think um, think about replenishing your body every 90 minutes in some way. If people are not replenishing the body every 90 minutes, if you're doing really, I'm talking really intense um, cardiovascular exercise here, if you're not replenishing that, you'll get to a point where your body is actually carb deplete and you will be in a lot of trouble. Uh, if you think about marathon runners in the Olympics who are crossing the line and look like they're having a seizure or a fit it's that um you know it's that point where the body's actually run out of energy so you have to think how can i replenish the body um continually and to do so effectively you've got to think well it's that combination of carbohydrate for you know instant energy but also slow down that energy by combining the the proteins and and fats one very interesting ingredient that um you know can't be ignored is chia seeds do you guys use chia seeds? I do actually. We we add it to some of the um, uh, the the oat uh, the, the oatmeal uh, recipes that we use. Uh, Brilliant. Um, so you know the reason I mentioned something like chia seeds in terms of sustained energy is that chia seeds um, are a beautiful source of omega three fatty acids, which is awesome. But the the thing that I like about chia is that it absorbs a lot of um, fluid, a lot of liquid. And if you've ever watched chia, it swells and does fabulous. Um, gelatinization it's very weird stuff um but the beautiful thing about it is that the chia seed will actually slow down the absorption of carbohydrates so if you were to add some chia seeds to um you know um, your liquid as you're consuming food um whether it be you know your water bottle um while you're consuming food you you have that benefit of that slow absorption rate to keep you um going for that little bit longer i think it was the taramurran um indians um were first to use chia seeds in running across the deserts um there's a it goes along way back um, chia seeds for for its benefits and um, it has has to do with the fact that it can hold on to um, hydration and to slow down carbohydrate into the body so chia seeds although they sound like a trendy kind of super foodie kind of thing they actually have a lot of benefit um, for the body um, I think um, you know you can't also ignore taking things like um, electrolyte drinks whether they come in you know your little dissolvable tablets or whatever you you really have to think about electrolytes too. Um, my greatest fear for people when they're hiking is their hydration levels. Um, uh, so, you know, when you are hiking on very severely hot days, you have to really replenish um, your, your hydration um, constantly, not just every 90 minutes, but to be able to sip, sip as thirst comes along. Uh, and by adding something like the chia seeds to water on a hot day, it just means that you've got that... Um, just a slower rate that that hydration will be absorbed as well. So don't, um, yeah, keep keep chia in mind for sure. I must admit, I mean, one of the probably the reason that we tend to use it in our, our, our overnight oat recipes, where we're not actually cooking the oats, is to get that gelatinous sort of yes. texture that, that oats tend to have, and when, when it's cooked as porridge, so yes. it's good to hear that they're actually good for you as well. Totally, yes. All right, and now, uh, what final takeaway would you provide to people undertaking longer hikes to ensure that they're eating their best they can be, and at the same time dealing with the practicalities of multi-day hiking? Really comes down to practice practice, preparation, trialing things. I think that, um, and you know, a lot of hikers have been doing it for a long time, but I think if you're suddenly going to change your, um, your fuel regime in any way, do not get out there and trial it 
at that time. You really have to run it through, um, you know, in the lead up, you know, trialing different supplements, trialing different foods, trialing different dehydrated products, trialing them and watching your gut response. Um, I've done a lot of work with um, people who um, who do uh, Ironman triathlons and that's the exact same advice that I give to them. You guys put your bodies under so much stress that you want it to be functioning and um, working as effectively as possible. And so being able to trial anything that you're going to do from a dietary measure before getting out there um, is absolutely critical also you know if you can spend some time um, in you know looking into supplements maybe spending some time with a sports dietitian trialing things um, you know invest in that knowledge learning do lots of reading um, find out as much as you can work alongside the the people you're hiking with um, you know be able to to share different provisions um, you know think about ways that you can um, take as much as you can when you do have partners on your journey so that someone is you know carrying certain foods and um, there's that good balance and good variety across the team if you're hiking with a team I assume you would most certainly always hike with a team I don't know no not always I must admit I uh, typically for me and and, and this does vary I I tend to either hike with my wife or I hike by myself Mm. and I tend to do the crazy stuff when I'm hiking by myself so the the long days and uh, and I'm I'm carrying everything so Um, But a lot of people do hike as larger groups and um, uh, it's certainly a bit more flexibility on who carries certain things and you can spread the load between a larger Mm, group. Yeah, more variety in your food, I guess, um, with more people too. All right. Um, So is there any any final thought that you'd like to add uh, that you think we should have covered? Um, Look, not at this point, but if anyone listening today has uh, any one-liner questions that they might want to send my way, um, my email, um, you can find my email uh, details on the website, which is www.feedinc.net. Um, I'm in Kingston if you, you need some you know, extra time and uh, a good chat or if you've got specific gastrointestinal upsets, particularly while you're trying to do endurance events, um, you know, by all means get in touch. But um, no, I, I think um, of all the sports um, and comparing uh, the knowledge of uh, the people involved in these sorts of things, I have to say that hikers have, um, you know, have got a lot of information out there on the internet and seem to, they sound like they know what they're doing. So um, hikers, well done. I hope that is the case. Um, but if you are concerned, please drop me a, a one-liner and I'm quite happy to um, re- reply to emails. Thanks so much for that, Lisa. Much appreciated. My pleasure. We hope you found that interview with Lisa from Feeding to be uh, quite informative. And certainly from my perspective, I suppose I had, a, as I said, I had a, a bit of a um, uh, an ulterior motive with this uh, this interview that um, I thought it was going to be a, a valuable episode for people to listen to. But as you're probably aware, I'll be doing a, a four-week-plus hike later in the year. And I had a concern about uh, nutritional health on the trail as every two to two week plus hike that I've done in the past, I've ended up losing around about seven to eight kilos. So I'm just trying to get over that issue of um, losing too much weight and too much body mass uh, and be able to keep the, the fitness up while I'm on the trail. I think certainly from my perspective, I uh, I have been fairly fit most of my life and I consider myself to have reasonably good knowledge as far as fitness and health. Uh, but this interview with Lisa, I learnt quite a lot, uh, and certainly I'm aware that um, you know having a good nutritional balance is 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 very important. And that's whether you're hiking or whether you're you're just living normal day to day life. Um, but uh, you know, and, and as hikers, particularly on the longer hikes, we tend to be looking for food that is higher in calories rather than lower in calories. So often things like fats tend to sort of boost those calories up a bit. Uh, but it is necessary to make sure we get a good balance between fats, proteins, and carbohydrates. Uh, and working out how to do that, particularly on the longer heights, can be a bit more uh, more difficult. I think that some of the takeaways that I picked up from that uh, that uh, interview was the need to refuel. And I'd always been aware of the need to have particularly protein around about 20 minutes after a, a period of intense exercise. But when you think about it, 
Uh, for most of us, we get to camp at the end of the day, we put our pack down, we wander around, we might have a cup of tea, we look at where our tent's going to go, and then maybe a couple of hours later, we probably think about having dinner. And really, from, from Lisa's perspective, from what we really should be doing is probably be having dinner first or having at least um, an amount of food first to allow our muscles to go through and, um, and start uh, rebuilding themselves back again. Yeah, one of the things which she was talking about was um, bodies being under stress. And, um, you know, as Tim says, when you're doing intensive exercise or, you know, if uh, you're an elite athlete, you probably think, oh, yeah, you know, um, body under stress. But uh, having done a day's hiking, you probably wouldn't think about it in the same context. So I think that was one of the things for me uh about, uh, you know, not just refueling, but understanding the impact that you're having, um, on your body. And, uh, the other aspect was around the, the, uh, the need to rehydrate and making sure that you were hydrated all the way through the day. Um, and of course, there were a couple of, you know, uh, traditional takeaways the you know everything in moderation and listen to your cravings which I kind of liked um, which reinforced my need for dark chocolate I think <laughs> the other thing that I picked up from this I, I've always tried to eat reasonably healthy it doesn't always work but uh, certainly I try to eat whole foods and natural foods where I can um, and Lisa mentioned the uh, the need, particularly on the longer, more difficult sort of uh, uh, periods of exercise of, su- of supplements. And I've always tried to avoid those. I don't, I'm not a personal fan of the gels and the goos. I just find them a bit too syrupy and sweet. Um, but as I said, looking at the longer hikes and doing multi-week hikes, I think certainly trying to get the calories in and trying to get the energy back into the body is certainly a critical sort of thing to uh, to keep up. But I think it was also about the protein as well, the concentrated protein you could get into some of those things rather than um, just the, the sugar. And I think for me... Um, the comment that she made was that uh, there tends to be an over-reliance on sweet things. Um, and uh, I must admit, after two weeks on the trail, I'm, you know, pretty pretty over the sweet things. Um, and, you know, I'll be going looking for a whole bunch of different options, I think, now to supplement particularly the um, the fats and the protein and not rely overly heavily on the carbohydrate. And one, one option she did mention from that, apart from the gels and the goose, was things like the milk. Um, and for me, I always tend to carry milk powder on the, on hikes for, for tea and coffee. Um, but I hadn't actually thought about mixing milk powder with sustagen as a way of getting a, a bit of a, a hit, a bit of energy and a bit of protein back into the body. And so I think that's something that I'll look at from now on on the, on the longer sort of hikes. Chocolate was another one. I think everyone likes chocolate. Um, and again, Good quality is the better, but certainly particularly for the shorter hikes, nothing wrong with the, the Mars bars or whatever else you happen to happen to fancy. Um, and as Jill said, the reliance on sweet thing, sweet things is 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 uh, is can be something you need to be conscious of. And I think there was a, a comment that she made about um, you know um, if you if you're hiking for a day or two, it probably doesn't matter um, too much. But I do think sometimes we probably do overdo it with um, high-energy sweet foods on those short sessions and, uh, you know, maybe maybe there are some al- other alternatives even for the, the, the one- or two-day hikes that we can look at as well. The other thing that uh, I thought was interesting that she mentioned was the need to replenish the body about every 90 minutes uh, because you're depleting the carbs. And um, for those of you that have been listening to the podcast for a while, in um, December 2016, I did a one-day hike to Mount Bimbury in the um, the Australian Alps, and that was a 54-kilometre um, a hike. Uh, and I got to a stage where all of a sudden I just ran out of energy because I'd had a good meal, a good breakfast to start the day, and I hadn't bothered to eat as I was going. Uh, and certainly after that, I stopped. I had I had a good I had a rest. I had some good food, and I was right to go. Um, one of the things for me is when I exercise, I lose lose hunger or lose appetite. So I've got to be conscious of every hour, every hour and a half, actually having a snack on a regular basis just to keep that energy up. 
The other thing that Lisa mentioned was the importance of hydrating. Uh, and this is something, you know, now that we're, we're still in the hot temperatures in summer, the temperatures are still around the, in the 30 degrees in, in my part of Australia. Uh, and for many of us, uh, the, the, you're used to those sort of temperatures as well. So keeping the water up is just as critical as keeping the, uh, the food up uh, to maintain that to maintain nutritional balance on the, on the trail. Um, one thing that Lisa also stressed was the need to go through and try things out first. So don't sort of plan on saying, right, I'm going on a hike tomorrow. I'll add all these extra things to see how they go. Test them out first. Try them out on shorter hikes uh, and see what sort of reaction they have. You may find that they just have a, a bad reaction with your gut um, or you just don't like them and you need to find a, a solution that works for you. Yeah, I think that's um that's that's good advice. Um something that uh, uh you know, Tim and I are very different in terms of um uh our eating habits and when we do go off on a on a longer trip in particular, um you know, we can start to he says I'm a little bit pernickety, but I don't think that's true. Um but you know, we we do know what we like, we do not do know also what works well for our own body. So um sometimes that can be a bit of a challenge, particularly if you, you're wanting to um carry things that we can both eat to keep things simple. Okay. One thing I appreciated Lisa actually doing, she did actually make the offer, as uh, she said towards the end of the um, her interview. Uh, she's more than happy to answer one-line questions or one-liners. Um, so please feel free to contact her, and I've got her contact details on the uh, the show notes for this episode. Um, if you want something a bit more in-depth, uh, certainly uh, by all means go through and make an appointment with her. And one of the advantages... Uh, we often get uh, uh, people saying that, uh, geez, we wish we were in Canberra or be able to access this person. Lisa does actually do Skype consultations. So even if you are somewhere else uh, within the country or for that matter overseas, um, Lisa can actually go through and do consultations online with you. So it's uh, it's a bit of versatility there, which, which we really do appreciate. Okay, so um, I hope this episode has been of benefit to you. Um, certainly, as I said, from my perspective, I've learnt a lot. Um, and in preparation for my um, long through hike later on this year, I will actually be going through and, and making an appointment with Elisa uh, to to go through and discuss uh, my food regime, just to make sure that I try and get uh, get as efficient as I possibly can, and make sure I'm not missing out on anything obvious. I think we get so used to preparing food on what we like but we tend not to think about whether it's nutritionally balanced or not yeah what we like versus what we need yeah <laughs> so big difference, uh, and i think that's that's the that's the benefit i'll see in in in, in catching up with the leader lisa later on in the year is to be able to sort what i what i actually need to make sure i've got the right balance there okay that's all for today's episode Next week's episode, which is our next regular episode, is Navigation on the Trail, and we're going to talk about maps and compasses, just do a, a bit of a brief overview on that. As always, this episode is available to download from our website, from SoundCloud, through Stitcher Radio, and through iTunes. As always, if you have the opportunity, please go through and rate us on iTunes to help get the message out there. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. That's all from me. Bye for now. And bye from me.